please read with me? Um, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 26. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set, aside, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The word of the Lord. Hey, thank you, Heidi. Can everybody hear me? Sound check. Thank you, Heidi. That was awesome. Thank you, worship team. Sometimes after worship like that, I'm so full I could just go home. <laughs> you know, really? It evokes such, uh, such a response in my heart that I just want to pray. But uh, here it is. Greetings to you. I'm John Cuppinger, Pastor John. I serve alongside Dan Hardy and Chris Schuett and Pat Brady, and uh, I'm one of the pastors in this church that uh, is really bivocational. So, um, you know, I, I work for a living. Hey, not that these guys don't work for a living. I mean, they kind of do, but, you know, but, <laughs> but I'm a tent maker, and uh, so it's not often I get the opportunity to share the word, open the word with you all, but it's a pr- it's a privilege. It's a pleasure. It's a, it's, a, it's a duty that I love and I treasure, but it's also a bit daunting. So bear with me, please, today. Let's pray. Lord God, this passage has something for everybody here. I pray, God, that you would minister the hearts, the souls, God, of those in audience here today, because this word can help them. God, you can minister to it to bring fruit and life and good, goodness in their days. So God, I pray that you'd attend. May your Holy Spirit attend with this body. Uh, God, go with me as my words. I pray not, that none of them would bring any offense to you. But God, that uh, all together, this be part of this great period, this great time of celebration and worship of you today, that we have worshiped in song We worship by putting ourselves underneath your word. We worship in giving. We worship by sweet fellowship that we share with each other. So God, 
thank you for this opportunity that we can all be here together in a con- as a congregation to worship you. In precious name we pray, amen. So as you guys all know, we are marching through 2 Timothy. We've been doing this for a couple weeks now, so Dan preached a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chris, I'm sorry, uh, almost gave credit to Chris. It was Pat last week. Now, I was out last week, so I, I did what, uh, what Jason said. I went online and I listened to Pat's uh, sermon online, which is great. I love the ability to do that. I encourage you guys to do it too. You see here in, 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 uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul is the author, right? And he's writing to his dear brother, his dear child, really, um, uh, in the faith, that is Timothy. So Paul's in, in a dungeon in Rome, and, uh, and he speaks to Timothy here as a father to a dear son. You see, now Paul's ministry was characterized largely, he worked very hard to establish sound doctrine in the church. And here in Timothy, he's passing on the torch, so to speak. As Paul shares in the book, his life is about to come to a close. He was likely close to his, the time that he would be executed or die otherwise. And he, he, as he was looking forward to this, he knew it. And so he, with a, with a love and passion of a father, Paul writes to Timothy to give him his final thoughts, his final instructions, his final encouragements to this younger man who he, whom he had invested in for over probably 15 years or so. Timothy, best, of, best that we can tell, was probably in his 30s. So he's not a super young man, but Paul was not shy, though, to continue to instruct him on what is important, what to focus on, and what to do and how to conduct himself, as Paul would not be around much longer. Now, there's two main purposes for the letter is that, and then, then also there's this relational part, that at the end of the letter, Paul says, I want you to come to me. He wanted to be near to his dear child. This is a reminder to me that we have such precious little time with people, fathers with their sons and daughters, time with dear close friends, time with our spouses. Paul's manner here is a reminder to me to redeem the time that I have. Not necessarily to always have a program or an objective or purpose in every connection that I have with people, although that that wouldn't be bad, but rather to have times, quality times with people versus being distracted and consumed by all the meaningless things of this world. Our culture is one, and we live in a time where we have the means to divert ourselves constantly and in a thousand different ways with all the various forms of entertainment, movies and games and blogs and social media, enabled by the technology that never seems to leave our hands or our back pocket. These things can be used for good, certainly, but they also invade and steal away from the precious moments and hours and days that we could otherwise be spending in closer connection with our family and friends, our brothers and sisters even. As you see with Paul, he was mindful to continue to mentor Timothy and call him to, him to continue to remind others. And that's how the passage starts out today. Remind them about these things. So about what things? 
Well, some of the things that just preceded in in 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. In 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 13 says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound teaching, of words, of doctrine that you have heard from me in faith and in love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Guard the good deposit that is entrusted to you. And then more in in first part of 2 Timothy, Dan taught on this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Awesome, right? And here, Pat taught on this last week. What? Remember Jesus Christ. How beautiful. Some of the important things that Paul raised in emphasis to Timothy in his letters in general are the importance of sound doctrine, the marvelous grace of God and salvation by grace alone, by, in faith alone, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the divine inspiration of Scripture and its nature and function. We'll hear more about that in, in the next chapter. But the second coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection We need to be reminded of these things. These are important. He wants Timothy to continually put these things into remembrance. And he goes on to say, and charge them before God to not quarrel and strive about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. You see, a central theme in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is concerned with false teaching. Quarrels about words and controversies, meaningless talk, godless chatter, divisiveness, and so on. The concern with false teaching is about matters they can be big and they can be small. You know, great Bible teachers today, do you know some of them? And they're studied in the languages and history, and, and but they very often disagree on certain passages. Not all passages are perfectly clear, Right? They could very well argue all day over some finer points or maybe even some debatable matters. Sure, that's in view here. But more is the concern in First and Second Timothy about false teaching. The admonition of this passage is to avoid fighting, quarreling, and striving about such things. Essentially, we are not to entertain or give ear to such matters. Don't engage and don't be drawn into it. There is no profit, there's no good, and no good can come from this, and it can lead to the ruin of the hearers. With his focus to to Timothy on sound doctrine, the message is to major on the majors, right? Focus on the things that are the most important, the things that Paul taught so diligently throughout his entire ministry, and to not engage in prideful strivings that violate these truths. False teaching is essentially an attack on the truth, either by sheer denying it or by corrupting it or twisting it in some way. But Paul told Timothy to keep things straight, remind them of these things, the important things. Now verses 
I've kind of collected a a section of these verses because they're spread out a little bit. But verses uh, 16 through 18 and and verse 23, because they're closely related, says this, But avoid or shun irreverent or profane babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truths, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Have nothing to do with this quarreling, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. See, the irreverent or profane is literally those things that are outside the temple. So here, these, things are, these false teachings are things that are outside of sound teaching, sound words. They're not true, and they stir up controversy and arguments. They aim to undermine what is clearly taught in God's Word in, a, in an attempt to lead people astray. Holding to or believing in these things, <clears throat> in things that are not true, as this passage says, can lead to more and more ungodliness and can upset the faith of some. How tragic is that? You see the importance of sound doctrine? Each person here, I look around, each person here is responsible to read the Bible for themselves. So they know the truth for themselves, right? You should be like the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17. says says this about them versus the Thessalonians. It says, They received the word with all eagerness, that's good, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It's your job. We can say something up here, or you can hear things out there, or you can read the Bible, but it's up to you to examine the scriptures to see what's true. If you are exploring the scriptures on your own, you will not be so easily swayed by the false teachings of others. For those that are not well-versed in the scriptures, The falsehoods can find pasture and grow and spread like a cancer or gangrene. Do you know believers like that? I do, unfortunately. Have you heard of false teachings that sweep through Christendom in your lifetime? I'm sure you have. I have. I've seen the unhealthy teachings and their impacts. I've had friends swept up in these misdirections. Things like the, I remember way back at the prosperity gospel faith miracle ministries and the like, and it was much to their harm. I've known some to experience years of unnecessary trouble and strife in their Christian walks because they largely missed out on the majors and rather chose to major on the minors or things that were just not true. They were not true or solid. They were not pure milk. Thankfully, none of those friends that I'm aware of departed from their faith, but there was fallout in their lives. Here, Hymenaeus and Philetus are apparently aligned with some form of Gnosticism. They were claiming that the resurrection was already past, or, or, or that there really isn't such thing as a bodily resurrection. So they denied the body, and that there was only some spiritual sort of resurrection that happened at conversion. But First Timothy says that Hymenaeus may back in first, uh, uh, in first Timothy, that he made a shipwreck of his faith. So for him, engaging in these vain babblings had some pretty terrible results. Do we believe in the resurrection? Oh yeah. This is a great hope for us, church. 
You see, we have the display model in Christ himself. He was raised from the grave with his resurrection body. He ate and drank, though he probably didn't need to. You could touch him. You could feel him. You could put your fingers in the, in the wounds of his hands from his crucifixion. I love that Jesus, he could walk through walls. I can't wait to do that. It's going to be cool. And, I don't, and, and what else are we going to be able to do? In heaven and eternity, we will see and know and be able to touch each other. I will know you. You will know me. Some of you are going to look different, though. I was just looking out at one of my dear brothers out there, thinking, man, you know what? I'm going to see you. I don't know what you looked like when you were 30, David. Because you're going to be a young man in heaven, I think. I wonder if we get to choose our age. What age would you choose? Certainly not 18. I'm going to be older. I want to be older than that. Verse, verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul encourages Timothy to the diligent study of the word, to work hard to present himself approved. This can only come by careful study and interpretation of the word and from learning from other approved leaders. This is not the academic study only. Far be it. 2 Corinthians 8 says, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The goal of our study of Scripture is not to know about God. It is to know Him. Knowledge in itself can lead to arrogance in some of these babblings that we're talking about, right? And even to striving and quarreling. We study His Word to know Him and to understand how to think and how to live. Rightly dividing the words, word of truth means to cut it straight. What, it, what, what does it say? When we're in biblical distinctives, I always ask the group, what does it say? <laughs> Don't tell me. It's not what you want it to say. We talk about that a fair bit. We talk about, in, in biblical distinctives, how to study and interpret and some of the errors that we should avoid. We ought not to cherry pick verses that seem to match what we already believe or want to believe to be true and hold them in isolation or exclusion of other truths. We ought not to pull out a single verse or, or a single passage and blow it up and make it a major part of what I believe, independent of what the larger body of Scripture says. My favorite is we... Or it's actually, we ought not to put our wants and desires or personal experiences on top of Scripture. You don't interpret Scripture that way, right? You don't impose what you want onto it. Scripture should own you. You should not own or control it. When you go to Scripture, are you asking or telling? Many of the false teachers I have seen through the years, they do this. They isolate a small verse or a small set of verses. Just hap- hap- had this happen this last week. We talked about it in our community group. And they amplify it until it is way out of balance and exclude consideration of other relevant truths. Back in the day, Kelly will remember this. She doesn't know that this is in here. I have in my notes, baptism by fire, baby. I remember this. This is a 
some 28, 29 years ago. We were leaders in, in a church in, in Fort Collins, and we we're part of a college and career ministry, and we were invited other pastors to come and teach, us, teach with us and share with us at a, at a conference or you know, internal conference there. And, and one of the guys that we invited, see, it was a rather charismatic church at the time, so one of the guys that we had invited, yeah, he needed a place to stay, and so Kelly and I were saying, yeah, he can stay with us. That'd be awesome. And so he comes over, he stays with us. Now he had written a book, and it was written, that was the title of the book, Baptism by Fire. <laughs> you see, and all this guy could think about was Acts chapter 2. The tongues of fire, right? And all he could talk about, all he could talk about, night and day, constantly, the only thing he isolated was tongues of fire. And he, want, and he believed in the, in the second anointing, or the second filling of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> And quite interestingly, at the time, I was a student of John MacArthur. I had John MacArthur books all over my house. I read them because that's just where I was at at the time. And, and I, had, uh, one of the, I had all of his books, but I had one of the books on my bookshelf was on the Holy Spirit. And you know what he did? He took my book and he put his book in place. And I'm thinking, man, for a guy that got double doses of the Holy Spirit, he stole my book? I thought, man... That is not a good witness right there. We ought to consult the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God. Scripture is best understood by relating to other scriptures. One of the fundamentals that we teach is interpre- for interpreting scripture is scripture best interprets itself. This is the best way to understand it. Some passages are clear and straightforward. Others are not so clear and hard to understand. So search for the clear passages to help with those that are harder. Hold tightly to the clear passages, and don't fret about the passages that are difficult or unclear. I have the hardest time getting people off that. I have the hardest time. They get stuck on something, and they, and they, do, they can't understand it. It's like, forget about it. Move on. We ought to read the context of the passage. Many times it's more than just a few of the verses before and after, but we need to understand the purpose, the theme maybe of a chapter or of a book, and then how that fits in the greater body of Scripture. We cover way all this and more in Biblical Distinctive. So if you haven't taken that class, and I see some of my class is here today, I, I think you should consider it. Now, if you don't find answers to concerning a difficult passage, you can always ask a pastor. You can go to a community group leader, talk about it with him, or in your context of your community group. You can consult reliable commentaries. But my favorite is this one. Be content. (laughs) You don't need to fully grasp this difficult passage immediately. God teaches us through time. It's a process. So continue to study that you may be, and maybe he will enlighten you in time. Likely for most of you, you know far more already about the Bible than you can possibly obey or hold to. So focus on applying the parts you do understand. Spend time on the foundational truths. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Remind the folks of the important matters and avoid the foolish stuff. Don't outgrow the majors. Don't be drawn into foolish arguments. The cross of Christ is simple and yet profound. We will be looking into it and rejoicing into it for all the ages to come. Our great salvation is by grace alone without any merit on our part. The awesome faithfulness of Christ, who is immovable and unshakable. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection. 
and His coming return. That we have before us an inspired Word of God that is powerful, complete, pure, infallible, and true. It transforms us. It makes us wise for living. It rejoices our hearts and promotes true worship. It enlightens our hearts to know Him. It will endure forever. Let's be like Paul, who can say like he did in in earlier verses, I serve with a clear conscience, and I am not ashamed. Do your best to present yourself a worker approved, not needing to be ashamed, because you rightly handle the Word of God. Verse 19 is in two parts. I'm going to cover the first part. It says this. This is really interesting. But, the, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. This is relating... Now, hang on. Relating back to verses that Pat covered last week, verses 11 through 13, God has placed His seal of ownership on His people. And we live with Him We will reign with him, for he is faithful even if our faith fails. This phrase, the Lord knows who are his, comes from Numbers 16.5. And the story of Numbers 16 goes like this. This story of Korah. Do you know it? It's a cool story. Korah and his followers, there's many of them, but they included principles like Abiram. Did I just say that wrong? Abiram? Abiram and Dathan. And there was with him, with them 250 other chiefs or leaders that arose against Moses in, in a coup of sorts. They were not satisfied with the level of service that was given to them to do in, in their ministry. They wanted more. They wanted to be higher level priests. And so upon this major challenge that was brought to Moses, Moses said this. He says, in the morning, the Lord will show who is his. And who is holy and will bring near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Oh, don't you love that? So the next day, they were all there to assemble with their incense and censers and their smoking pots to test to see who the Lord would choose. So they all assembled. And, and, and guess what? The glory of the Lord appeared. And the Lord told, Mo, told Moses, to get away from all the others. And Moses, oh, no, no. Because you know what that means. He's going to destroy everybody. Moses says, no, please no. And then, and then God said, okay. This said, everyone move away from these protesters. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the, and the 250 leaders. And so they moved away. And Moses said, hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord, If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And upon him saying those words, immediately, The earth opens up and swallows the families and the household belongings of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And then there's the 250 leaders probably over to the side and they're smoking pots. And almost instantly, like a fire-breathing dragon out of heaven, burns them all up. 
So it is. The Lord knows who are His. It should be a great comfort to, to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. He knows us. He has put His seal upon us. He will not forsake us. We have life eternal with Him. We live in Him now, and we shall reign with Him in eternity. Amen? The second part of verse 19 says, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from, from iniquity. As believers, we have the life-changing power working within us by His Word and by His Holy Spirit. This is a continual process for the believer. We always have more and more of the bad in our lives to root out, right? This is a process that we will continue until we, either we die or He returns. We, unfortunately... If you're anything like me, sometimes you deal with the same sins over and over and over again. But hopefully, with his, with his influence in your life, that gets better over time. This is not about a life of perfection. More it is about the process. The process of becoming more and more righteous over time. Through trials, through the rigors and challenges we face daily. But we should try not to use that to justify open sin. For to live an open sin or an un, unbroken pattern of sin is evidence that you may not truly belong to Him. Here's, the part, here's part, part of the pattern of godliness. It says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That should be daily for us believers. But 1 John 2, 1 says this, my little children, I am writing thing, these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with our father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. You see, the world around us is so corrupt and sin is so prevalent. Indeed, it's always been that way. Don't amplify today. It's been like been that way since the fall. Have we become desensitized to sin? Has our judgment been compromised? What standards do you hold yourself to? The world's or the Bible's? How do you spend your time? What do you think about? How is your thought life? How are the relationships in your life? How about with your kids, with your spouses? with your extended family, with your friends? Are you winking at some sins like it is a small thing? Are you trying to justify areas of sin in your life? Christian, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 20 says this. 
Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. The gold and silver vessels of this illustration are those that are used a lot. Every day. They're for everyday use. They are more attractive, of course, but they can also be cleansed and used over and over again. They are resilient and can be put to a lifetime of use. The pottery, not so much. Honorable use is use in his kingdom efforts. The first step here is to be cleansed from what is dishonorable. That is the duty of the believer to depart from iniquity, to stay away from and shun idle chatter and any striving about words, to live a life that is consistent with the gospel. The believer is already justified by the work of Christ by grace through faith, right? This action, this is the action of the believer to turn away from sin and to turn to doing what is right, to live in the light of the gospel. This allows the believer to be fit for use and ready for good works that God has prepared for him to do. Ephesians 2 says it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a process too. Every believer has a certain level of maturity and certain gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Part of your preparation is to begin to apply your faith and position as a believer to work in the kingdom. There are a myriad of ways for the believer to serve in the local church. It's up to you. Get involved. There are many, many areas of service here at WCC. Stick around a little bit. You'll hear lots and lots about that. This is the fruitful life of the believer. To continually turn away from evil to live and love and grow in Christ, to bear testimony to his name and his grace in your life, and to serve him in every way that you can. Verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy was likely in his 30s at this time, And Paul has been discipling him, as we said before, for probably some 15 years. But here Paul continues to remind Timothy, after all those years and years and years and years of being locked on arms, he says, he continues to tell him, flee the youthful lusts. Now there's no indication that Timothy was married, so I think we can assume that he was not. But these youthful lusts are largely lusts of the flesh. So sexual sins are in view and other worldly desires. So Paul tells him to continue to flee these things, the inappropriate sexual thoughts, desires, and actions, and other worldly things. This flee is pretty dramatic. This is not turning away, right? It's not just, I'm turning my back, I'm not going to go do that. It is more, it is more like, run, get out. Put a lot of distance between yourself and the temptation. Joseph fled, When Pharaoh's wife tried to seduce him, he ran out of the palace without even his garments on. 
So flee worldly temptations and pursue and run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And how? This is really important. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy needed this. Paul needed this. You and I need it also. To surround ourselves with godly people. People who can encourage you and build you up. People who will challenge you and even admonish you if necessary. People with whom you can be accountable and transparent. Confessing your sins. Asking for support through prayers and otherwise. I am greatly helped, strengthened, edified by the men in my community group. These men, they sharpen and challenge me. We sharpen and challenge each other. We share deep things. We pray for each other. These godly men, I would not be the same without them in my life. And I pray the same for you. If you're missing any of the above, if you're not fleeing youthful lusts, if you're not pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, if you're not in fellowship with believers then you need to make changes. You need, and you need the help and support of godly brothers and sisters. Find a community group here at WCC. I've lost track. There's over 17. I don't know how many are there. There's more than that. Seek out close relationships with fellow believers. It's really not an option if you want to be a vessel fit for honorable use. Verse 24 says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here is the prize, brothers and sisters, that by your faith and good conduct and faithful testimony and acts of service, that there may be fruit. That others may find the very same repentance that changed your life. That others may come to their senses. That Christ himself would lift the veil and draw the lost to himself. That others may be spared the doom of the devil's trappings. We should never assume that someone or anyone is too lost to be found or too ensnared by false teachings idolatry, worldly and youthful lusts, or any trappings of the devil, that they cannot be changed. We must proclaim and continue to proclaim the gospel to all people because we do not know what the Lord will do. Perhaps he will use you to save a soul or many souls. Okay, we're going to summarize. We're going to summarize Paul's encouragement to his dear son, Timothy. Now, this chapter, I'm going to go back into Dan's stuff. I'm going to steal from what Dan did, okay? This chapter starts in chapter 2 with several figures that I think fit the rest of this chapter pretty well. Dan preached through this two weeks ago, the verses 4 through 6. That is, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, okay? The soldier is the one with a single-minded focus, doesn't get entangled in other affairs because he has a commanding officer 
to whom he must obey, and he wants to please him. This is the believer who has the Lord as his king, as his master, his savior. Jesus is the one we live unto. He is the one we follow. He is the one we obey. Under this soldier figure is also the thing, all the remind them of these things, things. As a good soldier, we need to be strong and unmovable in the foundational things of the gospel. Things like faith in Christ, salvation by grace through faith, sound doctrine, rightly dividing, rightly handling the word of truth, the supremacy of Christ and the magnificence of his mighty works on our behalf, the divine inspiration and power of scripture, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the second coming and the resurrection. These are some of the majors that make you a faithful soldier with fidelity and loyalty to your king and all he stands for. The athlete, he's the one who, run, who labors hard to achieve a goal or a prize. Here's the work, the running, the passion. But one must compete according to the rules, you see. It matters. It matters. The manner of how you run the race, how you compete. Taking, the single-minded fo- taking from the single-minded focus of the soldier, the athlete trains and prepares and works. The athlete is the believer as a workman approved, rightly using the word of God. The believer who cleanses himself and having turned away from youthful lusts. The believer who does not quarrel or strive about words. The believer who pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace. The believer as a vessel for honorable use for every good work. The believer who serves the Lord in the ways that he has been gifted and called. The athlete runs and follows his ways in doing it. The next one, the hardworking farmer. He's the one who keeps in mind the harvest. The harvest, this is the end game, really. This is the prize, the reward, the harvest of souls to bring into the family of Christ. He's built on the solid foundations of the soldier with the diligent labors of the athlete. There's the fruit of the farmer who participates in, shares in, and rejoices in his own great salvation and in the saving of the lost. So if you belong to him, then I urge you to establish yourself as a faithful soldier. Be devoted to King Jesus and all he stands for. Be the athlete who walks in his ways, making every effort to be a worker approved, holding to sound doctrine, carefully handling the word, turning away from temptations, pursuing the right, the right things, to be a vessel honorable for, for honorable use in his kingdom. So as faithful, as I close here, as faithful soldiers, athletes, and farmers, we will all see the kingdom come more and more and more as more of the lost sheep are found and you are one of them. What a great thing it is to be called to be a worker in his fields and to share in his harvest in this life and the life to come. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your, hmm, God, your Holy Spirit. 
Right now, God, I just pray that your spirit would stir and mix and teach and enliven each one of us for the things that you had for us today. God, that you would show us even all the more how to be a soldier in your kingdom, how to be the diligent working athlete running for the prize. And how, God, we have such such the privilege, the honor to be a farmer, a hardworking farmer, and that we will get to, and that we get to participate in the fruit of your kingdom. So God, I pray that you would touch each soul right now. And God, as we close this service out, I pray that you help us to go and live our lives before you in a way that is pleasing to you and brings you all the more glory. Amen.